literally just started as fun and just kind of took off without any of ex- us expecting it to. Um, and it's still still fun and always will be fun because it's beer. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't not work on that. Welcome to the Active Marketer Podcast, where we talk about how to design, automate, and scale your business to the next level using sales and marketing automation. You can find out all the tips, tactics, and techniques you need to get more customers and sell more stuff over at theactivemarketer.com. Now, here's your host, Barry Moore. Hi, I'm your host, Barry Moore, and this is Episode 3 of the Active Marketer Podcast. If you'd like all the links we mentioned and all the show notes emailed directly to you every week so you don't miss a thing, just head over to theactivemarketer.com forward slash podcast and sign up. This week we have a really great interview. It's with serial entrepreneur Dan Norris. Dan's the founder of WP Curve, a WordPress services business, and he's been a serial entrepreneur for years. He's had some successes and he's had some failures. But the great thing about Dan is he's always open with sharing all of those things. So you can follow along with what he's doing, his income reports, what's working, what isn't working, so that he can share that information with the other entrepreneurs out there. I really like that quality about Dan. Our three pillars at The Active Marketer are design, automate, and scale. So this week we're going to talk to Dan Norris about designing a business with growth in mind. All right. Welcome to Dan Norris. Dan, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks. You were kind of at opposite coasts here. I'm up on the sunny coast. Dan's down on the Gold Coast, um, and uh, it's not really the Sunshine Coast today up here. I don't know what it's like down there. Uh, much the same. I was up there two or three weeks ago, actually. I like the Sunshine Coast. I haven't been there since we moved to the Gold Coast because it used to be just as quick from Brisbane, but now it's like three hours for me to get there. But <laughs> yeah, fair it's a nice enough. spot. Fair enough. Um, I want to get Dan on the show today to talk about a few things. Um, uh, one of the things I really like about Dan is his kind of entrepreneurial journey and how open he is uh, in sharing that journey with everybody else and um, and plugging away after uh, plugging away all these years and months um, trying to uh, really fulfill his entrepreneurial journey and then finally kind of struggling with informally and then kind of hitting it out of the park with WP Curve. So, first of all, congratulations with all your success over there. That's really great to see. Yeah, thanks. It's it's um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still early days, but it's yeah, it's been an amazing year. That's for sure. Last year was, I, I sat down and wrote like the a summary of last year and what I'm planning on this year, and it's just a, it's a really really good time. I'm really excited about this year. I think it's going to be huge. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, in the in the WP Curve journey, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is is probably a journey that any entrepreneur would would be happy to go on. So I thought we might talk about that a little bit. Um, starting with maybe tell us a little bit about how you kind of not necessarily wound down informally but jumped from informally uh, over to WP Curve. Yeah, well I spent a year working on a, a software product that really no one wanted. Um <laughs> and or at least at least not enough people that I could get to wanted to pay me for, which is the most important thing. Um and I really didn't want to get a job although I I was thinking the other day how like my absolute worst case scenario was getting a job and a lot of people around the world would that would be their absolute best case scenario so I mean it's never really that bad in Australia but in my head getting the job would have been the worst thing in the world after being an entrepreneur for 7 years um so kind of out of desperation I launched WP Curve um I I did it in in less than a week and um we just for whatever reason it it um 
I think it had a lot of the elements of a good idea and I had the right audience for it. And through luck or whatever else, I was sort of the first first person to do this idea of unlimited uh, WordPress jobs for a fixed price each month, um, which is sort of everywhere now. But 18 months ago, I, I think we were the first person p- people to do that. Um, and it just, yeah, it just took off. I mean, um, the first week we had 10 people sign up and every week since we've had about that many um, and and even more recently. We're up to, I think we're up to 750 customers now after 18, 19 months. And how did you get? How did you first get the idea for WP Curve? Was it just talking to to, to other people in your circles of friends? Not really. Um, I sort of it, it's sort of hard for me to know exactly where my ideas come from because I listen to a lot of like I pay attention to a lot of what's a, a lot of startups and what they're doing. So I, I watch things like this week in startups, and I I mean entrepreneurship forums, and you know, like I listen to lots of podcasts every day. Every hour of every day, I'm thinking about businesses. Um, so I think the WP Curve idea probably came from a range of different places. One was um, startups that were emerging around the idea of doing small fixes for websites. Um, the other one was just my audience and just constantly emailing my audience each week and you know having people ask me all the time, how do they fix all these problems? And I, I wasn't in a position to help them. Um, and... Also, just the failures that I'd had in the past around, like, I did. I definitely didn't want to start an agency, and I kind of knew the pitfalls of that model. And I, when I wanted to bring some of the, like the high growth startup type elements through um, into whatever business I started, um, but I had to go with services because I had no time left. I had a couple of weeks before I had to get a job, so I kind of just combined all of that um, and came up with the idea of doing a monthly unlimited. I mean, the the, the unlimited idea was really just based on the idea that people, I mean, people don't want to abuse the service and get 50 jobs each month, but people also don't want to have to make that, um, they don't want the uncertainty. Yeah, like, so, oh, so I only get five jobs this month, should I send yeah. this one in or not, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so before that, it was, you know, people who did like the monthly plan thing, it was like, oh, you get five jobs a month or whatever, um, and then after that, you get X, um, and and then if the job's bigger than thirty minutes, you know you pay. You, we do a quote and you pay a couple of hundred bucks. But with with WP Curve, I, I just said it'll be a monthly fee. This it'll be unlimited, so you don't have to worry about that. The the price won't change. Um, if there's any jobs outside that, we don't even do them. We won't quote them. It's just this is the service. Um, and and for for whatever reason that kind of resonated with people. Yeah, really cool. And and I think do you think one of the reasons it's been so successful is just the the flat out simplicity of the whole thing. Yeah, the the um, I'm I'm thinking more and more about this because I, I talked about this quite a lot in my book about the different elements of having a, a, a like a high growth business idea, and, and one of them is just the fact that it's simple and and referable. But I, I think a better way to put it is, which is a quote I picked up from the Prophet, the TV show, is um, brands should be conversational, and I think that quote kind of sums it up in that. People like like we grow through word of mouth, so so we come up in conversation because people see us all over the place. But also, it's a concept that people really find it quite easy to understand and to tell people about. So it's a simple brand with a simple idea. Um, it's very easy to understand. I was looking at a post yesterday about the top 100 WordPress-related companies or something, yeah. and the description of what WP Curve was was shorter than pretty much everything else in the list. <laughs> well, I think that's really it, quite you know, simple. It's easy to explain to somebody. Oh, what do they do? Oh, they just you know look after your WordPress site. Thirty minute jobs, 
69 bucks a month. It's in, and when you, when you hear about that model, you're like, well, yeah, of course is, you know, is nobody else doing that? Oh my God. You know, what a brilliant, <laughs> what, a, what a brilliant model. Well, a lot is. of people, a lot more people are doing it now, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then- yeah, for sure. So, um, and as you said, you you were a bit of under time pressure there to get WP curve off the ground. So, did you really kind of design it to be scalable from the beginning, or was it just like oh, I've just got to get something out there and I'll figure the rest out later? No, I mean the I, I would have I would have gotten a job before I went back and just, and started a business that I couldn't scale. Yeah. So I um and and I mean grow might be a better word than scale because at it, it, seven. 750 customers we're hardly like a high scale business but yeah. um yeah no I, I definitely i thought about the elements of like what startups look like and um like what is it about them that help them grow and i wanted to build those things in as much as i could into the service and i've written a lot about it since and particularly in the book but at the time i sort of initially i, I, th- I sort of thought well you can't run a services business in the way that you run a startup because services just can't be scalable. But once I really thought about thought about the different elements of what a scalable business looks like, then it, I I just sort of built those elements into the WP curve. Things like making sure we have only really predictable like recurring revenue, um, making sure we only do one small thing and and don't be all things to all people. Make sure we have a really referable message, like we talked about before. Um, make sure that we're fundamentally profitable, which is I did a really basic calculation of how much I thought it would cost to have a customer to look after a customer for a month. And then I doubled that to work out the price. And to this day, it's more or less accurate. Um, so that, that's some of the things that were going through my head at the time and that have turned out to be pretty, pretty close to reality. And in those early days, um, you know, I, I know a bit of the story from reading the, the seven day startup, but um, how long was WP Curve just Dan Norris and his mobile? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I did launch with um, the promise of 24-hour service, which, again, was just about ma- making p- people not needing to think about it. So, like, if you're in the US and you've signed up with an Australian who's going to support your website, the first thing you would think is, well, when when is that person online? Or, or if you use an agency and you send them an email, the first thing you think is, well, they're probably not online, they're probably asleep. Um, so I, so it needed to be 24 hours a day, so just to take that decision-making process and that doubt and confusion out of it. Um, and early on, it was just me with a mobile phone next to my head, like he said. And um, I'm not sure how long. Alex came on board probably two months into the launch, um, actually, it might have been might have been less than that. Might have been like a month and a half or something into when we launched. And from that point, he he looked after the US time zone, and I looked after the Australian time zone. And since then, we've hired staff to do all of that. But but back then, it was just me and Alex manning the chat. Uh, aside from you and Alex, when when did you get your first kind of uh, support person? Well, I actually had a developer right, um, okay. working for me before I started that that was part of Informally and even part of my agency from like three years before. He's worked with me for years, so um, I had him, which is good because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to actually fix any of these problems that people were submitting. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And he's our lead developer, and, and it's just really fortunate that I already had him because um, he's he's like the guy that we go to when no one else can solve the problem, and it's lucky that I had him um, you know, to start with rather than having someone who needed to escalate problems. Um, but then again, I mean, you could call it luck or, or you could call it, you know, I, I'd I'd had him for years, and I'd, I'd gone through a lot of developers to find him, and I looked after him. So, 
And yeah. how how long was it before you put on your second developer? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I know I know. I, I sort of estimated that we would need uh, one developer for every 30 clients. Right. Um, and initially, and that's turned out to be more or less true. I think it's about one developer for every 25 clients at the moment. Um, but because Andrew was so good, he, he was able to get through a lot more jobs than a typical developer. Um, so I think it was maybe like 50, maybe we got to 50 customers or something so maybe a couple of months before i before i needed to go out and get get more developers cool um so what other issues or bottlenecks do you run into in the beginning um there wasn't really i mean in the beginning we didn't really have any issues that we don't have now um all, all of the issues really we only have three issues that i can think of one is is constantly trying to work out how to improve the service um, the other is hiring in the U.S. time zone. It's it's easy for me to hire in Asia Pacific because I've done that before, and, and I can get good developers in places like the Philippines. Yeah. Um, but hiring in the U.S. has been more difficult. And the other is retention. How do we, how do we, you know, keep people who sign up to get a problem fixed? How do we keep them paying each month and giving them value each month? So, they're they're sort of the three things. I mean. Retention, I didn't really think about too much for the first six months because it, it wasn't really clear that that would be something I'd have to worry about. Um, we, we found a good developer pretty early on in the US, but we haven't really found too many more. Um, and the service quality, again, as, as we grow, we've grown to 31 people in 18 months. Um, that, that just becomes a harder problem to solve the, the more you grow. But th- these have kind of been themes that, that we've been working on for a while. So have you grown into having multiple layers now or like either team leaders or is it just you and Alex and then all the developers? No, there's team leaders. Um, Alex has Julie who is, is the team leader over in the US and then I've got Michelle over in in the Asia-Pacific area to manage that team. Sorry, to, to manage the Asia-Pacific team. Um, but even that is probably too much because we're sort of getting up to around 15 developers on line at any one time um, so we're, we're it, it's sort of it's sort of tough we're sort of stuck between a traditional and a, a like a more of a like, well I, I guess between a traditional business and a hundred percent remote business and there's and there's different different things that work for those type of businesses and we're sort of in the middle trying to work out what we do like do we do we do one-on-one team meetings with every individual staff member or do we just communicate via Slack? Do we have a traditional management structure or do we have a, a live management structure where whoever's online at the time fits into a certain structure when they're online um, and that might ch- change depending on when they work? Th- those kind of things are issues that we have to deal with because we run 24 hours a day and because we're 100% remote and we're, we're still sort of figuring all that stuff out. Yeah, and – yeah, and my other question was around, you know, now that you've now that you're putting on, you're getting to that level where there's team leaders in in a bigger team, like you know, thirty people, is that adding to the cost base? And you know, will sixty nine dollars a month still be a viable a viable fee for for what your cost base has become, or is well, becoming? Well, yeah. So there's two probably two answers to the question. One is um, I, I had planned a, a like a management percentage into that planning originally, so I had made some assumptions around how many developers we had and whether we would need a team leader for that many developers and how much that would cost. So that was sort of all built into the pricing. Um, but the other thing, there's, there's a few things that have happened since that 
that will put our costs up. One is we're, we're thinking about um, having people to do – well, we're thinking about a bunch of different changes. One is a higher level plan that, that gives people something that they're not currently getting on, on the standard plan. Um, and that will – to run that higher level plan, it's going to cost us more and therefore the price will be higher. Um, but I'm still hopeful we can keep the $69 plan. But the, the other thing is – the way we structure the service at the moment, you can just sign up for one month and then leave if you want to. And that has a big impact on retention and who signs up and why they sign up. So that's probably something we'll experiment with to, to see if we can work out a better way of doing it than that. Yeah, I wanted to loop back to that retention uh, issue that you mentioned before. So do you, is are you having a lot of churn or um, you know is it at a manageable level? And, and are you finding that you get a percentage of people who sign up and then just find that they don't use the business, use the service enough to kind of warrant staying there. Well, probably yes to all of those questions. Right. Um, the churn is pretty high, but at the same time, the churn is a really complex thing to measure, and we don't, we aren't really doing a very sophisticated job of measuring it at the moment. Um, for, you know, for example, if someone signs up and they just completely misinterpret what the service is, and then the next day they cancel, then that's that's considered churn in our calculation. Um, whereas that's probably a totally different problem than are we actually providing value to our customers long term? Um, you know, that might be a problem with the copy on the website or, yeah. or you know, maybe it's too easy to sign up or, you know, it, it could be a bunch of different things. So the, 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 I guess the first answer is churn is a complicated thing that we're still trying to measure and work out. Um, the second question about whether or not it's a problem, when we're growing as fast as we're growing, it's not a problem because we're growing much faster than we're churning. Yeah. Um, but but I think if you took churn out of the equation, we're probably growing by 20 to 30% per month, which may not be sustainable forever. So at some point, we're going to have to get it under control. Um, and the third question about whether people request jobs and then figure they don't need the service anymore, that's probably broken up into two scenarios. One is the customers who will still keep the service because they see it as insurance. And when they do need it, they know we're there and... Um, you know, they, they, they know they're a customer of WP Curve and whenever they have a problem, they can ask one, even if they don't ask for something each month. Um, and then there's other people who sign up and if they're not using the service, they will leave. And that, again, is a complex problem. It might be that they're the wrong customer. It might be that, you know, we haven't done a good, good enough job of, you know, suggesting jobs to do for them or maybe we're too generous in allowing people to leave every month. It's, it's quite a complicated thing that we're sort of working through and testing different options to to figure out what like a happy medium is. Yeah, are you tracking are you tracking at a customer level how many jobs they submit? I guess you would in HelpScout or something, right? Is that right? Yeah, we part of our struggles at the moment are we we're still trying to find a full-time systems developer. We're building our own system. We've got our own dashboard for analytics and we've got uh, the beginnings of a system for clients to log into and for us to really be able to um, offer a much better support than you can with an off-the-shelf help desk for this type of business because our business is a bit weird. It's sort of in between help and projects. Yeah. Like there's plenty of project systems, there's plenty of help systems, but there's nothing really in between. Um, and so I think we need our own system and we're working on that. Part of that is getting better metrics. We have a pretty basic understanding of like on average how many jobs people request and how many total jobs we do, that kind of thing. Um, and we've we've analysed manually you know, churn customers versus staying customers and how many jobs they request and what sort of businesses they have and all that kind of stuff. But there's nothing that's really jumped out as being a really easy fix to to um 
to kind of making everything perfect. But I think it's kind of like an ongoing thing that we have to work on. Well, I was just I was just asking because I was wondering if you know maybe if if you've got some some clients who aren't submitting jobs for like two months, you could put them onto some sort of nurture sequence that says, "Hey, did you know this is the latest? You know, these plugins have been updated, and here's the latest thing." And try and get them into engaged and use at least one or two. Uh, you know, jobs a month to try and just keep them engaged in the WP curve kind of crowd, if if you know what I mean. Yeah, we we do that already. Yeah. Um, and it's it's had moderate success. I th- I think we, I think there's a better way we can do it. At the moment, we just send a weekly tip for our, for our professional customers. We every month we go in and we actually make a suggestion for what they can improve on the site, and we and we go in and upgrade plugins and that kind of stuff. So they're getting something each month anyway. Yeah. Um, for the standard customers, we send an automated e- email each week with a different tip on something they can improve. But I think we can make that process a little bit better and we're working on on how we do that. Cool. Has anyone um, <laughs> has anyone ever taken advantage of that uh, unlimited clause in the unlimited support? Yeah, there have been a few. There's, there's, um, there's sort of natural limiters to it. So there's you can only request one job at a time and um, typically the turnaround time will be sort of eight hours or so, which means if you're a normal person working a normal day and you request a job, it it should get done that day, but it might be the next day in terms of when you're online and when you're checking your emails and that kind of thing. Um, so like, unless you're literally sitting there at your computer replying back to, you know, to request a new job exactly when that one closes, it's kind of hard to do more than one job a day. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And there's also, it's just for one website. So it would be really unusual for one website to have more than, you know, I mean, it, I mean, we have had situations where someone's requested like 30 jobs in a month, um, but normally that is when they don't actually have a live website and they're trying to use the service to build uh, a site instead of support an existing site, and that's not something we support. So, if we if we see that happening, then we'll just tell them like this is this is a service for existing sites, not for new websites. Fair enough. And how did you how did you decide on when you were doing your kind of cost analysis and planning like what the customer to developer ratio was going to be? Is that just from experience at Informally? Uh, no, I, I guessed it originally based on how many jobs, you know, how many problems I thought someone is likely to have on their site, how many jobs they're likely to re- request each month, and you know how much fat needs to be built into the process. Like it's it's all well and good to say that a job is thirty minutes, but in reality from start to finish and with back and forth and with project management and with, you know, logging in and all that kind of stuff and with staff breaks and everything, it's it's probably going to be at least double that for the actual developer yeah, sure. to 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 do the job. So like a developer is probably not going to get through more than about eight jobs in one day. Um and looking at how many jobs, you know, how many issues you typically have with a website and um I I, I guessed I guess what it would be. And and now after after guessing it originally, what we do now is we look at the response times. And if we're slow, if we're below eight hours, then we'll hire again. And if we're really fast, then then we we don't need to hire again. Um, but it, yeah, so far it's been around twenty five to thirty customers per developer. Just looping back to that to that metrics bit, what do you what do you consider your key metrics for the business? Um, well, we probably have metrics for different things. Um, but the main thing I'm looking at at the moment is, I mean, we have monthly recurring revenue growth, which is what we report on in our monthly report. Yeah. So that's, you know, just a basic financial thing. We look at growth and um, I was just exci- just as excited when we were doing, 
you know, three grand a month, but we were growing by 10% as, as I am now. We're doing 57 grand a month or whatever it is and still growing by 10% because the the market is so big that if we can keep growing, it's going to be so much bigger than that that these numbers are all going to seem minuscule anyway. Yeah. Um, so I focus on growth, not so much revenue. Um, in terms of the internal metrics, the one we probably focus on the most is the level of customer unsatisfaction, which is um, when someone re- closes a ticket, they click a little thing to say if they're happy or not. And if they're not happy, it means we've done something wrong. So that's the number that I look at to try to improve. Um, and then we also look at response time. We have a, a, a secret. So, so all of this is autom- uh, automated slash delegated in that in our system that we use to communicate with staff, Slack. Yeah. Um, it, our, our assistants go in there every day and post the stats from Help Scout and from the various places to tell us what the previous day's satisfaction rate was, what the um, response average response time is to tickets, which is the big one that we use for hiring. Um, and, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things that, that we're going to look at once we once we can build our own system and get get the data in there. Um, but churn, yeah, churn is one thing we look at in our current dashboard. We look at website visits and conversions. Um, they're yeah, they're probably the main ones. With that unsatisfaction rating, is that just a survey that's coming out of Help Scout or whatever at the end of the at the end of the job? Well, we do about four different things. Well, pro- maybe five different things to work out if customers are happy. The first is every job, they have a link at the bottom of the job that says, are you happy, yes, no, or okay, or something like that. Um, or, or how happy are you with the with this ticket? Very happy, satisfied, or unsatisfied. So that's the, the basic satisfaction metric that we report on in our, in our monthly reports. Um, then we... We did an annual survey at the end of the year to ask people a bunch of open questions about what we could do differently. We have a net promoter score that goes out every quarter that asks people whether they'd refer us and if so, why and if not, why. Um, And then we're also planning some customer development interviews where we chat with customers. Um, And then then also just the general – the general feedback that we get as part of running business, whether it's via social media or email or – by the Slack channel, we have the tweets automatically coming into the Slack channel, so all the teams see them. Um, yeah, so so all of that kind of goes into to whether we think customers are happy and, and churn as well if people are staying, if they're leaving. Yeah, Slack's a great tool, isn't it? That man, I love Slack. Yeah, we we're pretty heavy users now. We've got I think 30, 30 odd people in there, and um, a whole bunch of different channels and a whole bunch of automation set up to, to do different things. So yeah, it's, it's been great. Very cool. Um, so back to the early days, are there any lessons you learned that you weren't expecting? Not really. I think the, the lessons I learned were, were um, the, that I captured in the book are really about what I did wrong before starting WP curve and what I did right starting WP curve. Not, not to say I did everything right. Um, but but that were probably the most lessons, and and sent uh, WP Curve has gone very well, so it's kind of hard to say you know we yeah. stuffed up this many things. Um, but in terms of other businesses, I think the main lessons were just launch quicker, get paying customers quicker, uh, focus on paying customers and not not other entrepreneurs or other assumptions or what people are telling you you know they like about your idea. Mm-hmm. Um, focus on branding and and that thing about brands being conversational so having like a really simple product and a brand that people can talk about and refer probably being patient as well like a lot of the benefit i'm getting now 
through all of my different businesses and, and content and whatnot came because I was I spent that year with Informally creating lots of content and not really getting any financial results, but being patient enough to wait for that momentum to build up is important, especially with something like content marketing because it's it's just not the sort of thing that returns straight away. Yeah, um, for sure. So so that's that's something that I've definitely brought into. Like I'm working on a business at the moment called Helloify, which is a, a customer support a live chat app. Um, and now previously I would have launched something and been really disappointed if I didn't get, you know, 10 paying customers in the first week or, you know, if I put up a bunch of content, I didn't get a bunch of people signing up to emails. But now I think, especially with the content, I'm much more patient. I kind of realize it's going to take a long time before the content really starts to return its value, especially with stuff like Google indexing the site and, and starting to see it as an authority. And like with WP Curve, the, the majority of our traffic now is from posts that were written a long time ago. And they just we start ranking in Google because the site's got authority and we have like a bunch, a handful of posts that drive the majority of the traffic um, that sort of over time have become valuable. So um, definitely be patient, especially with content. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you, have you done any paid advertising for WP Curve or is it all kind of content marketing in word of No, the, the only thing we do is we have a really small ad roll budget, which is like 50 bucks a month or something, which is retargeting. Um, and is that, does that work I don't well? really I, – I, I couldn't even tell you. I think it's like it's switched on and I don't really check it and I, I just couldn't be bothered turning it off. Um, but I haven't increased the budget because we don't really need more people to sign up. But at the same time, I like the fact that we've got it all set up and it, it kind of can't hurt for people to be seeing the WP Curve brand occasionally and it's costing us next to nothing, so I just kind of leave it on. But um, I sort of made the decision that um, – that our our funnel is about word of mouth and and content and press yeah and that they're the things we're good at we're just not really particularly good at paid advertising and I don't really want to be either yeah and I think I think you hit the the important word in that sentence is occasionally man I you know I've seen people doing retargeting and it just shits me I yeah <laughs> I saw this one brand I had a look at their one a web uh, page on their website or something and their remarketing has been following me around everywhere for weeks like i literally every time i open computer there it is and it's now gotten to the point where it's just hurting their brand rather than helping it you know i'm just like you know you you know i don't yeah. wanna, i don't want to have to dive in and get rid of cookies on my machine just so i don't get harassed by somebody you know <laughs> you know what i mean so i guess yeah that, i don't really want to annoy people too much so so that's part of the reason i don't increase the budget because i'm sure it's showing occasionally for people but yeah. it's pretty rare for someone to, to tell me oh, i saw one of your ads but a, a lot of the time it's kind of showing to like I see a lot of retargeting ads for services that I already use, like yeah. Infusionsoft. Yeah. One example, like they're they're always trying to sell me on signing up for Infusionsoft, but I'm using it and promoting it for years. Yeah, yeah. There's so it's retargeting that... and they're ringing me and they're emailing me, and I'm like, I'm already a customer. Please stop. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to loop back to there was is you know Helloify. I I guess you must just be like an <laughs> an addictive overachiever and an entrepreneur that you've got this. This great business in WP Curve that's growing at a uh, you know a nice sizable rate, and then so of course you're going to go off and start a couple more businesses <laughs> at the same time. Like, so what was your? Uh, I know you've got Helloify and you've also got the uh, the brewery stuff as well. So what was the what was the impetus below, behind Helloify? Um, well, that, that was just a. Well, there's a few things there. One is that that I really love working on software, and um, Luke, who I work with, has been working on that for a year and. It was kind of keen to launch it, and um, 
he's just working by himself and I guess in a situation like I was before where you're working on something yourself and um, it helps to work with other people. So there's that and there's also I just – I like to work on stuff that I'm interested in and I think if I spent all day just working on the one thing, eventually I get bored. So what I prefer to do with WP Curve is to work out what the problems are and how I can solve them or, or how the team can solve them and do that as quickly as possible so that so the team kind of looks after a lot of what happens without me. Um, and th the team's really good at actually following procedures and you know doing automated tasks that pop into their queue and that kind of stuff, but I'm useless with that sort of thing. So um, it's, it's sort of bad for the business if I work too much on it, but it's good if I can get in and set the processes up and work out where the problems are and kind of work on interesting solutions to these problems and that kind of stuff, which I do. Um, but w with any task, I end up getting bored. So my, my thing is, is trying to work out how to delegate it. And we've done that with the content now. I've got Kyle managing the content and a lot of guest writers and uh, the systems and all that kind of stuff. And my involvement is sort of more like on the edges and, and more like um, – like the really strategic fundamental stuff that me and Alex kind of spend hours talking about is is the stuff that we do that um, the operational stuff we don't really do and the sales we don't do at all. So it's really just working out where the big problems are, where the big opportunities are and, and how we build systems. And God, I sound like a bloody – I sound like some sort of corporate person, but <laughs> it is literally about writing Google Docs. Yeah, I spend my sure. time writing Google Docs. That's well, that's it. You know, <laughs> you, you want to own a business, not necessarily run a business. You know, so um, I think you're doing a, you're doing exactly all the right things. Fantastic to see that you can you know get it up and running, still be in there when you want to be in there, but still step away when you want to step away and look at other stuff. That's great. Yeah, and the the um the black and the, the HelloFi stuff's really interesting because I think there's a I think there's a a really big opportunity with a couple of ways we're approaching it, and that yeah, hopefully. As 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 that kind of stabilizes and we get more momentum with that, I think towards the end of this year it's going to be really interesting. Um, but it takes a long time to build and to market and to you know create a brand that people know about and care about. So um, I think that one's going to be really good. And the the beer stuff is literally just started as fun and just kind of took off without any of ex as expecting it to. Um, and it's still still fun and always will be fun because it's beer. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't not work on that. And um, and wh what do you uh, what do you attribute that to kind of uh, take off of the beer business to just your prowess at content marketing or anything? No, I think the the um the, well, I think that it's it's the team is a really interesting group of people for one. So um, there's three of us. Eddie is my best mate. He he knows every, knows every person in the craft beer industry. Knows everything about beer, um, and everyone loves him. So like he's like the exact sort of person you want to have. Like like if, if someone's going to go into a bar and ask someone if they want to buy your beer, you want Eddie doing that. You don't yeah. want a sales guy. You want someone like Eddie. Yeah, go out um, handing everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and and Govs is a is an actual brewer, and he's you know brewed probably most of the best beers that you can get in Queensland at, at any given time. Um, and so we've got the advantage of actually being able to make good beer, which helps. And then I've got the on, all of the online stuff covered and the branding and the content. The content in particular is, is, is not something people do a lot of. Like there's beer bloggers that write about beer, but and there's beer companies that kind of put up blog posts about 
events they're launching or beers they're launching or whatever, but there, but there's not that many beer companies that actually do content the way I think you should do content, which is just to write interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been a really good combination of three completely different skill sets and every step of the way it's kind of resulted in ma- magnified results that, that, that you wouldn't get if it was just kind of one person chipping away doing something. Very cool. I'm looking forward to getting down the Gold Coast soon and uh, having a glass myself. Well, the, we, um, I'd say there's a good chance we'll be at a, a bar up the sunny coast next year. So. Oh, cool. Very cool. We'll give yeah. you a shout when that happens. We almost ended up there this year, but but next year I think there's a very good chance. Um, looping back to WP Curve for a minute. Uh, so if you were starting it again, knowing what you know now after, what, a year and a half or so uh, with WP Curve going, anything you would do differently or do you think you, you used those uh, seven years of entrepreneurial incubation to get it right the first time? Yeah, I don't think there's anything I would do differently. I mean, there's 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 things we've changed since starting, um, including things as big as the name, because the name was different when I launched it. No, what was um, it when you launched it? It was WP Live Ninja. Right. Yeah, and we changed that. Um, but but I don't I don't actually think I would go back and change that. I think it was like a a well timed thing. It was a good idea to change the name when we did. It was a good idea to launch really really quickly without stressing about the name when I did. Um. So I don't, I don't actually think there's anything I'd really change. Yeah, um, for those of you who don't know what book we're talking about, it's Dan's book, The Seven Day Startup, and uh, I just finished reading that a couple of weeks ago. And it's a fantastic book if you're thinking of launching a business or if you're just an entrepreneur in general. Uh, one of the big, big, big things I took out of that book was, you know, don't waste time solving problems you don't have yet. <laughs> yeah, so. and, and that's uh, that's probably part of my answer to this question in that um, – there's things that we do now, like we've got a help desk system and we're building our own system and all this kind of stuff that, that you know, we – that arguably you could say we should have done at the start. But to me, the way we did it in that we were just lean and we just solved the problems we had, knowing that we would have to solve this one eventually, but we solved it at a time when we had to is, is a better way to do it. Yeah, for sure. It's easier to solve when you've got a monthly recurring revenue of, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 than when you don't have any <laughs> Yeah, so, it's always good. Uh, yeah, but it gets you focusing on the right things too. Yeah, like for sure. I think like when you're first launching, that you really probably don't want to be focusing on what help desk system you're going to use. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, Dan, I really appreciate your time today. We might wrap it up there. Anything you think I should have asked that I didn't? I'm never very good at answering that question. I'm, I'm only ever good at answering actual questions. So fair enough, fair enough. I think you did a good job and a much better job than I could have done if I was talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, um, if people want to know more about um, any of your businesses, where is the best place to uh, to find out? Yeah, well, if you want to uh, read the book, it's on Amazon. I uh, search for seven-day startup or just look in the startups category. Um, I've also got a Facebook group. If you put seven day startup into Facebook, it should come up. And there's, I think, uh, 1,100 people or something have joined that since I launched the book. So that's a cool way if you think of launching a business to go in there and get a bunch of advice from people who have either done it or they're currently doing it and um, me included. Um, and then just, just all the different websites. I, I think people probably won't remember them if I mention them here, but maybe you can just put them in the show notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll link to everything we've mentioned in the show notes for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, I want to highly recommend the Seven Day Startup as well. Whether you're uh, an entrepreneur or even a, just in a, a normal kind of more standard bricks and mortar business, it's definitely worth a read. And uh, I really enjoyed it, Dan. It was great. That's great to hear. Thanks for saying that, and, and thanks for having me on the show. No worries. Thanks, Dan, and uh, we'll see you online.
Okay, goodbye. All right, I'd like to thank Dan Norris for coming on for that interview. He's always so generous with his time and with his information, uh, and he's a great person to follow if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to grow your business as well. If you want to see Dan in person, you can catch up with him in Sydney at Superfast Business Live event in Manly on March 5th and 6th, and I'll be there as well. So if you see me walking around, uh, just grab me, say good day, and we can have a chat about marketing automation. If you enjoyed the interview, please share it with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, or anything you'd like to see on future shows, just leave us a comment in the comment section right below the show notes. And you can find all those show notes over at theactivemarketer.com forward slash Dan Norris. So we'll see you the next week for another really great interview. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Active Marketer Podcast. You can find the show notes and all the latest marketing automation news over at theactivemarketer.com.